Steve Fisher. John F. Kennedy said, let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democratic answer, but the right answer. Let us not seek to fix the blame for the past. Let us accept our own responsibility for the future. Unfortunately, when we look at national politics, it seems our elected leaders have not taken that to heart and instead are just going for the win for their side. Two young politicians in Washington state have taken it to heart. Jared Mead, a Democrat, and Nate Nehring, a Republican, are showing the national politicians how it should be done. Really, January 6th kind of sparked it because we said, we agree on so much. I mean, we disagree on plenty as well. You could go look at our voting record over the last three years, but we agree on a lot as well. We should make sure people see that you can agree on stuff and when, when compartmentalizing the things you disagree on to try to move your communities forward. But for, I think both Jared and I, and maybe it's our age, but even more so probably because we have young kids are thinking about what's going to happen in the next 20, 30, 40 years. When you, when you see things happening at the national level, it's, it's really shocking, I guess, is the best word, I, kind of the direction that we're going as a country and society. And so we see that. That's not the future we want for our kids. And so I think we've seen it as an opportunity to come together and hopefully spark that in our communities. They're here to talk about working across the aisle on Life Slices. Welcome, Jared Mead and Nate Nearing to Life Slices. Who is Jared Mead? Well, first of all, it's good, it's good to meet you, and thanks for having me and us to talk about this important topic. My name is Jared Mead. I'm a Snohomish County Council member. I represent South Snohomish County, which is District 4, which is the Mill Creek, Bothell, greater area. And I was, I was born and raised in South Snohomish County. I'm 31 years old. I'm married, have three kids, uh, all in this area, going to the same school district that I went to. I first got into elected office on a city council in Mill Creek, my home city, and then I ran for the state legislature, and I served in representing the 44th legislative district for two years in 2019 and 2020 before I was then appointed to the Snohomish County Council in April of 2020. And that's what I've been doing since. And uh, currently I serve as the chair of the county council now. Nate. Who is Nate Nearing? Again, thanks, Steve, for having us on. Really appreciate the opportunity. This is really cool for us to be able to do. I'm Nate Nearing. I represent District 1 on the county council, which is the northern part of Snohomish County. So the city of Marysville and Granite Falls up to the Skagit County border. I've been on the council since 2017, so I'm in kind of toward the beginning of my second term here. Really enjoying the work in local government. My wife and I live in Arlington, where we're raising our three young kids. We've got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So we're playing the zone defense at home, and we love raising our family here in the county. I just really enjoy the work I get to do with Jared and other colleagues. This is a cool opportunity for us to share a little bit about it. When I was your age, I think I was still in diapers. I'm, I'm not sure. So, Jared, what drew you to be a Democrat? Oh, so I, that's an interesting question. Uh, when I first got involved or interested in politics, not even involved, but interested, my first vote, I got to, I, in, I graduated high school in 2009, just to date myself there. And Barack Obama was running in 2008. So that was the first time that I was really got interested and drawn into politics. I think that's a story for a lot of people in my generation was someone like Obama, who was much different than your regular politician, not just because he was an African-American politician running for president, but because he was pretty young, relatively young compared to other presidents. He was charismatic, funny, smart, and exciting. He could give a really good speech. And so I was I was really drawn in to his personality and was inspired by him. I, was, I got to be my first vote when I was eligible to vote for Obama. And so I think that's what got me interested in politics. He was a Democrat. And so obviously looking at some of his policy ideas, that influenced me. So that was kind of the beginning of my political interest and my political interest in the Democratic Party specifically. And I think maybe 
we'll get deeper unless you want me to get deeper into some of the policy things and why I believe I'm a Democrat. But Did you grow up in a Democrat household? Not really. My parents would call themselves Democrats, but not when I was a kid. We were not a political family at all. My mom was a single mom for a while. And then when she remarried, she remarried kind of basically a construction worker, carpenter, laborer, man who was not very interested in politics, very interesting guy. And I love him and very smart and talked about lots of fun other things culturally. But politics wasn't really a thing in our family. I'm the first person to really dig in and care. And now my family cares because they support me and love me. And we talk about politics and all, all of that. But Nobody was interested in politics in my family, really. So we weren't, I wouldn't call us a democratic household necessarily. But if you were to ask them back then, I'm sure they would have answered that they were Democrats. But that wasn't really a thing we talked about. Nate, why a Republican? Yeah, so my story is a little bit different. I did kind of grow up in a Republican household, if you will. So my, my dad growing up was on the city council in Marysville and then eventually became the, the elected mayor of the city of Marysville. So I kind of got an inside look at local government growing up, which was cool. And I think what what drew me and continues to draw me toward the Republican Party is, I think, the principle of a lot of the problems that we see, whether it's in our local communities or nationally, are, are sometimes, not always, but sometimes better solved in the private sector or by communities as opposed to by government. And sometimes government gets too big, it can it can make some problems worse. And so I, I think that that angle toward increasing efficiency and kind of reducing bureaucracy really, really drew me in. So anyway, that's that's one of the reasons. But I've, I've had an interest in politics, I would say, at a base level since since high school, but didn't really get interested until after I graduated college and joined a planning commission. And that kind of getting to participate in that at the local level really, really sparked my interest a little bit more. Neither of you were involved in student politics back when you were in school. No, nope, I was not at all. But yeah, no, it definitely didn't start from a, a very young age, like maybe some. Certainly not a, a JFK situation where he was bred from the beginning. <laughs> Did you two know each other before you got on the council? I knew his dad actually more. His dad was is the mayor of – did you already say this name? His dad is the mayor of Marysville, and that was a city that I represented when I served in the, the legislature. So I, I represented the 44th district, which included the city of Marysville. And so I, he was one of my mayors who I coordinated with. So I knew his dad, I think, maybe even a little more. Then I knew Nate. I think that's fair to say. But I, I knew who Nate was, and we had talked at different events, various events. We probably saw each other when Jared was serving in the legislature. We would go down as a county and advocate for county priorities. And I always remember being very impressed by by Jared as a legislator just because he took the time to listen and seemed to actually care, which you don't always get from everybody when you go down there. So I, I, I was impressed when we first met. But, yeah, we didn't really get to know each other super well until probably when, when Jared joined the county council. Explain to people who don't who may not know, because not all our listeners are from Washington State. So what is the Snohomish County Council? Yeah, so the Snohomish County Council is the legislative body for county government. So if you think about going at a base level, you've got your federal government with the president and Congress. You've got state government with the governor and the legislature. And then cities have mayor and city council. So for the county, we've got a county executive who's the executive branch and then the county council, which is the legislative branch. So we're five members that serve a county of, what, 850,000 people and, uh, and growing. And our two main responsibilities are passing an annual budget for the county. That's about $1.2 billion. And then obviously the creation and, and adoption and, and changing of, of local laws. So those are kind of a, a brief summary of, of what we do. You've gotten a lot of publicity for being from opposite sides of the aisle who are working together to accomplish things. What led to that? So we, we actually worked together pretty well for the first half a year or so that I because I joined the council in the middle of a term. So in April of 2020. 
I joined the council. And so we worked pretty well together just because there were some similarities between the two of us. We both have young kids. Actually, the same, my oldest are both four years old. He has, a, I think, a three-year-old as well. And I've got a two-year-old. And he's got one-year-old. And I've got a seven-month-old. So we've got three. We both got three kids, very young, all under five. Both of our wives are school teachers. We both grew up here in Snohomish County. We're both around the same age. And so we had a lot of personal similarities. And so we were able to at least use those as points of common ground to be able to work together on policies throughout that year. But what really, I think, sparked that and, and what I would call our, our origin story, so to speak, and what we talk about when we go to schools and, and other events about our work together was January 6th, 2021, and the riots at the Capitol, at the U.S. Capitol. I was sitting watching the news coverage live, probably on MSNBC or CNN, and he was watching it on probably Fox or a conservative news station. He, he messages me and says, can, can you believe what's going on? Are you watching this? And I say, I know this is crazy. It, you know, what kind of a world we're raising our kids in right now? And he said, you know, we, we're on the same page about this, I think. We should say something publicly. I think that would be powerful. And I said, actually... I'm writing something right now. I didn't know what it was going to be. Sometimes I just write and throw it away when I'm thinking about something. I don't know if it's going to be a social media post or whatever. And he's like, yeah, send it to me. And he's a better writer than I am. He was a a school teacher as well before he got into this. So I sent him over some improperly worded stuff and he looked at it and added some stuff to it, fixed it up, sent it back to me. And we did a back and forth for the day. And eventually what came of it was an op-ed, a joint op-ed between a Republican and a Democrat that we sent to our local paper, the Ever Herald, they posted it. And you can imagine we both got a lot of heat from the more extreme ends of our parties. So a lot of the hardcore Democrats really disliked that I was willing to even coordinate with him or platform him, so to speak. He got the same stuff from the right. But what we didn't expect was the school professors, the te- the government teachers at high schools, the Rotary Club leaders reaching out to us and saying, we love what you said and your message. Would you be willing to come give a talk? And so we just decided, yes, we'd say yes to everything. So since then, it's been a couple of years and probably done 25 of these talks, whether it's at high schools, rotary clubs, Kiwanis groups. I think we did one at Chamber of Commerce, I think. We went to a college. And now we've sprouted out and started doing our own organized events, which maybe we'll talk about. But I think really January 6th kind of sparked it because we said, we agree on so much. I mean, we disagree on plenty as well. You could go look at our voting record over the last three years. But we agree on a lot as well. We should make sure people see that you can agree on stuff and when, when compartmentalizing the things you disagree on to try to move your communities forward. Yeah, and I think Jared summed that up really well. I would just add, I think it's a lot of elected officials are focused on policies and priorities in the moment, like the near-term stuff. But for, I think both Jared and I, and maybe it's our age, but even more so probably because we have young kids, are thinking about what's going to happen in the next 20, 30, 40 years. When you when you see things happening at the national level, it's, it's really shocking, I guess, is the best word, I, kind of the direction that we're going as a country and society. And so we see that. That's not the future we want for our kids. And so I think we've seen it as an opportunity to come together and hopefully spark that in our communities. And, and both of us, I think, have been really pleasantly surprised by the amount of interest and in this sort of thing and, and building bridges. When you take a flight together, do you sit on opposite sides of the aisle? Yeah, they have a Republican side and then a Democrat side. And we just, the Democrats get the window and the Republicans have to be in the aisle. You mentioned you got pushback from the extremes of your parties. Does that still happen? Or do they see that, wait a minute, these guys can work together. Maybe we can accomplish something. Have you seen my Facebook page? Well, I know what I found is when I go to, to the local party activists who are the most involved, I should say, at the, at the local level in Republican politics. They're not huge fans of, for the most part, of, of seeing people work across the aisle. I and mean, it's probably similar for Jared. 
But the interesting thing is if I go out and talk to like the average voter or a member of the public who maybe isn't regularly attending party meetings, but they would call themselves a Republican, I think they are very pleased with it. Like they want to see communities come together. They don't like seeing the, the bickering at the national level and, and they want to see people working together and being productive. So I think the public expects that. But I think both of us certainly get a lot of pushback and flack from kind of the, the more rigid members of our party or the, the everyday activists. I completely agree. And you haven't gotten any attention on the national level, have you? Oh, not no, not that I'm aware of. Uh, legislative aides are hiding some emails for <laughs> podcast requests. <laughs> so, so it gets worse when, okay, we'll back you for congressman, but you have to stop talking to that guy. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right, right. <laughs> How strongly does the party leadership in general try to temper your position? Well, for, I can speak for myself. On the elected side, I haven't found that. I think uh, party leadership is in, in terms of elected officials, like at the state level and folks I, I associate with are, are very supportive. On the, on the activist side, I would say it's not the same at, at the local level with the local Republican activists. But I think one of the things I found, and this is probably true for Jared too, is just being in government, it's important to recognize that the loudest voices are, are often the minority and those people that are really on the on the far end. They're, they're maybe not necessarily the most important voices. I get elected not to represent Republicans in North County. I get elected to represent all 160,000 residents, whether they're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. And so I try to keep that in mind and not get not get swayed too much by by that vocal minority. Yeah, and I, I would say the same. I would just add that we're also Snohomish County Council members. We're not Congress people, like you said. And I'm sure that if we were to one of us announce for an even higher office, maybe that maybe we'd have a different response to that question uh, now. Because as at this point, we've both been pretty successful electorally speaking in our own rights. And I would say, at least for myself, I think Nate's probably in the same boat. I don't worry much about a re-election, for instance, to this position, because I know I've done a lot of good work the last three years in this specific community, in this district that I represent. I've been to the chambers. I've been to all the organizations. I, I even go, I'll go to the churches and speak to community members there. Just go to YMCAs. I've done enough work in the community now, both on like a grassroots just speaking handshake level and also policy-wise projects, things, that I'm not worried about the average voter in Snohomish County's District 4. And so when I hear about the party apparatus trying to clamp down or maybe they want to primary me and run a Democrat against me or whatever, I'm not worried about that so much. But I, I would assume that running for something like Congress or the, even the state legislature again or whatever the next thing would be, I'm sure that we would have a, maybe a different answer as far as what the party looks like because it's when there's open seats or challenger candidates or something like that that the de that the parties – I know this is this, the case in the Democratic Party. I would assume it's the case in the Republican, but Nate can cut me off if I'm wrong. That's when they're looking for a new candidate and then they have the litmus tests. Right now I'm an incumbent, so – they can challenge me with a with an outsider Democrat to try to primary me from the left, but I don't have to go through the litmus test and jump through the hoops because I'm an incumbent. But if you're running for something different, I would assume the litmus test is going to be very difficult, and they're going to bring up questions like, well, you're pretty cozy with that Republican Nate Nairing. What does that look like? We'd rather have this person over here who's rigid and unwilling to talk to, to Republicans. So that anyway, that's what I'd add to that. I, I'm in the same boat as Nate currently. I think that's true for the party itself. I would add, though, for some sort of higher office, I think, again, the, the broad voting public is looking for that person, whether they're a Democrat or Republican, yeah. that's willing to cross the aisle and work together. So it certainly makes it more difficult probably for both of us trying to get party support and maybe a future primary. 
But in terms of voters, I, I think it probably ends up helping us. Ho- hopefully, anyway, that's what I like to think. The direction our country is going is, is the public is wanting to see more people working together and less less polarization. I think 90% of people are where Nate just said. The problem with the party apparatus being opposed to you, which I agree with Nate, is a small minority voice, is the money that is involved. And maybe we get into that in the next 15 minutes. Maybe we don't. But that's what keeps people like Nate and myself who want to work together across the aisle from necessarily progressing into higher levels like Congress and president, certainly, because the party apparatus, while it's a minority of actual voting block population wise, that's where you get access to all the PAC money. That's where you get access to all the independent expenditures that are going to attack you. That's where the social media stuff starts to really perpetuate. And so if the party isn't behind you, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, it is a very uphill battle. Um, and that's why I think you see such massive polarization on the national level because it's so much more relevant, those PAC donations and all that, where you can go on the local level and find more examples of people like Nate and I because we could be successful in local politics. So how do we get you guys, the the younger generation who are willing to work together, how do we get you up to the national level where we need you? Well, I think the first thing that we can all do to start is when election time comes around, voting for candidates who are prioritizing actual working hard for their, for their constituents and, and doing good policy work and actually doing that work and being productive as opposed to just wanting to get in front of cameras and spout things that appeal to the, the far left or the far right. And we have an opportunity as, as voters to do that every every two years, every time there's an election to state level and at the federal level to, to kind of make our voices heard in that way. So I think that's a good start if we could get more people elected to higher office who aren't as concerned with placating to maybe the, that vocal minority, but are more concerned with being productive and, and moving our country forward. I think that's a, a good start and something we can all have an impact with. And what I would add to that, I agree completely, what I would add to that is you have to also get those types of people interested in being candidates. Because a lot of times, the people who I meet who are peripherally interested in politics and they believe the same things as far as trying to work together, finding common ground, all of that, are uninterested in the electoral process because of how ugly it is and because of some of the things we've already laid out with the money and the things that you have to give up and all that. And so a lot of times, candidates who I talk to at the local level, I mean, there's city council members currently on the ballot this year that I'm working with who are this way, whether it's a Democrat or Republican or someone, one of them was a libertarian before, who who now is like, hey, I just want to do the right thing by the community. They're not even running in partisan races because in city council races in Washington, they're not partisan. So they're not running with the DNR. And so I'm willing to help them structure local races because I've done those before. But then when you talk the next steps with those types of candidates, they're, either they lose their race because they are unwilling to conform to a party and they lose that party apparatus, and then they're disillusioned by the system and don't want to run anymore. Or they're in local office and they're really successful, but they realize the writing on the wall, like the next step is not going to work because the party's never going to be a, okay with me because I voted, I leaned right on this and I leaned left on this. And so the party's just going to grab this thing and hate it or grab this thing and hate it. And so you have to get those people interested in running for office at a higher level as well which I think the political system we have in place right now incentivizes all the wrong types of personalities to run for office. Unfortunately, it's the it's the Trump Trumpian type personalities that people don't want to get on and talk about themselves and be really loud and kind of obnoxious and not necessarily dig in at a policy level to really do things specific to their communities that get interested in politics. And that's why we are in the situation we are, from my perspective, at least. 
I think one of the coolest things we've found, though, like we've talked to hundreds of students over the last couple of years, and a lot of times we'll start those conversations, and the kids, like, eyes are glazing over, like, oh, yeah, politics, we don't want to talk about that, like, that's that's no fun. And you can understand why if you turn on the news on any given day. But when we kind of get into the nuts and nuts and bolts of the conversation about like the work that we do on a day to day basis and how you can have a meaningful impact in your community and bettering the lives of others by working together, it's really cool to see the shift in and mentality from the students and the questions they start asking and the interest that gets sparked like, oh, maybe I could get involved in local government. And I think that's a testament to what Jared said. If we can get more people excited about what could be in our politics, I think that would be a great way to change it for the better. You might consider this question blasphemous. But would we be better off if everybody had to run as an independent with no party affiliation? I think part of the part of the party system is helpful and part of it's not. Part of it's very toxic and destructive. But some of it is also helpful because we live in an age where no voter is going to have 100% information. Because I think about this a lot. And I think Nate and I have even had coffee over this and had this conversation at length. I think we live in a, a world where most voters are taking votes with incomplete information. And that's just by necessity. Everybody's working, especially now versus years ago. People work more hours than they ever have. Whether you've got kids, you're thinking about how you're going to pay for the childcare. You're thinking about your mortgage. You're thinking about paying off your school debt. So there's there's so much real life stuff happening and so much other information you're intaking based on social media and the TV you watch and all that. It's almost impossible to ask a voter, any given voter, even the most informed voters, to have full information on all candidates on their ballot. Most people are looking at the top three people on their ballot and the rest are like, I'm not really sure. And so it is somewhat helpful to have party signifiers for voters to help them understand, okay, if this person identifies as a Republican, for instance, I know they identify more with fiscal responsibility, a smaller government. They probably fall on this side with some of these social issues. So I generally probably am supportive of this type of person, even if they don't have full information. If those signifiers are not there, that same voter looks at two names and guesses because like, I don't know who this person is running for county council. I'm only voting on this ballot because president's on the ballot or U.S. senators on the ballot. And so I think in in that sense, having a party signifier is somewhat helpful because it's a a general high-level litmus test. But then there's all those ways where it's so disastrous because what it forces me to do to get the Democrat party support or for Nate to get there. So I think it's a I don't think there is a perfect silver bullet answer. Yes or no to are we better off? I think it's really complicated. I know that our system could be better, but I don't know if it would be better if we just didn't have party signifiers at all. It's a question that's really interesting. I tend to agree with Jared. The biggest downside, though, seems to just be that you lose all the nuance. If I'm a voter and I look at Republican and Democrat, I could have preconceived notions about like, this is what all Republicans believe, or this is what all Democrats believe. But hopefully a thoughtful elected official has taken the time to think for themselves and not just completely adopt a a party platform by word. And so anyway, you lose some of the nuance in having the two party system. But it seems to I can't think of a better alternative. I think like Jared said, it's helpful to be able to at least give voters that information of in general, here's where I'm going to stand on those issues and see if it aligns with the voter. And I think that's part of the problem is, and I've talked to many experts about this, about do we have too much information? I mean, news takes work. You just basically lined up, highlighted what I failed to highlight earlier on with our, our quote-unquote origin story with the January 6th situation. He's watching a different news station than I am that leans politically different than I am. So we're talking about how disastrous this is because he's seeing it from a Fox News perspective, which is 
inaccurate in itself saying it's basically a party and there's only like 10 people that are doing anything wrong and it was summer of love to steal a quote from someone in Seattle and then I'm watching CNN MSNBC that's saying this is the craziest thing this is the civil war there's thousands of people storming the capital people are going to be dying etc cetera, etc cetera. neither of those things were true at all we know now years later that that neither of those things happened but you can see 50% of the country is a, is getting completely different information on the same event as the other 50% of the country and that makes it very difficult for someone to make a, a proper decision uh, when we're not even working on the same facts. And that was the precipice of why we wrote what we wrote. If you if you read our op-ed, it wasn't just we should all get along. It was we are getting different information and we got to be more responsible and dig in a little bit deeper before we have these like emotional responses to events that are happening because we're all being manipulated. I don't watch cable news, but I have made a habit of every morning I'll, I'll wake up and I'll just check like on the websites of MSNBC, CNN and Fox. And it's crazy. No matter what the issue of the day is, you'll have completely opposite headlines on like Fox versus the other two. I mean, it's like two different worlds. So it's interesting as an elected official, just reading that and thinking like, what's the average voter make of that? They're only getting one of those sources. And Nate, you brought up a good point was about the the loudest voices in the room getting the attention. We think about terrible politicians, horrible politicians. You know, these guys are just loudmouths. Well, we're only seeing a handful in either party at the national level, we see nothing on the local level. So it's hard to determine where we are. The country may seem more fractured than it actually is because we're not getting equal representation. I think that's a really good point. The megaphones go to the loudest voices, like in Congress, for example, on both sides. It's the most extreme members that are getting on the, the cable news interviews and, and getting the social media clicks and all that. And so you're right. It, it could be a more of a perception issue than a reality issue, because I think your average your average voter, wherever that in the country, probably wants to see more productivity and more people who are willing to work together. Not to mention the fact that we sent those people to Washington, so we only have ourselves to blame. Yeah. Like, get out there and vote for better candidates. <laughs> Can you talk about some of the issues on which you've aligned and some of those that you haven't? Yeah, Nate, I, I, Nate, we'll start with you because we keep starting with Jared. Exactly. I, I want to try to be balanced here. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so just a couple that come to mind, and Jared, you can add if, if there's others that you can think of. But a big one is on electric vehicles. So we both care about the environment and environmental conservation, sustainability. And so at the county level, we work together on a, on a pretty big policy, I would say, to to fund and put ourselves on track as a county to converting our fleet to, to electric vehicles. And obviously that can only happen when there's electric alternatives out there. But we've set ourselves on a path to doing that. I think that was a really good policy that we worked on together. Housing has been another one. A lot of housing policy happens at higher levels of government. But at the local level, we are able to do something. So we've worked together on things like detached accessory dwelling units and middle housing and reducing redundancy, streamlining permitting processes, those sorts of things. So I think those are a couple of examples of things we've worked together on. And then Things we've been on the opposite side of, I'm trying to think like big boats at the county level. I'm taxes, tax, property tax increase. Taxes is probably one that comes to mind. I don't think I've ever voted for a tax increase. And so that, that that's one that, that we're probably not, not always aligned on. What do you think, Jared? One of the ones that we agree on that we're working on this year that we haven't passed yet, but I hope that we do. And I'm optimistic that we will. I'm chair of the county council right now. Nate is vice chair of the county council. I don't know if we said that in our bios, but that's pretty unique. I'm a Democrat chair of a five-person council. He's a Republican vice chair of that same county council. So that's that's a pretty cool concept. And I think that's what's going to help us get a lot of good policies passed because leadership is represented by both parties now. So when something comes down from us, it's it can be assumed that it's pretty bipartisan. So we both have young kids, like we said at the beginning, 
And we have to look at the childcare system and the early education system. And we've done a lot of research, both of us independently on books. We've done a couple book clubs back and forth where we've shared books with each other about childhood development, brain development specifically. And so we're both really invested in trying to beef up and improve our childcare slash early learning system. So that policy we're working on now, we haven't passed it yet, but we're both actively working together on early learning and childcare. And then I'd say some of the stuff that we disagree on, some of it is local stuff. Like there was a housing thing that we just bought a couple motels and there was a disagreement about what kind of requirements we'd, we'd require out of some of the unhoused people on the streets that were trying to get housed with these units and some of the requirements. And him and I had a general disagreement on what we should require of these people before they get housing. And we worked on an amendment to try to find common ground on that. But at the end, we voted differently on it. And you could find probably 30 votes over the last three years that him and I have been on opposite sides of. Uh, those are a couple examples. And then there's the, the national stuff, which is, I think, in a really important point we haven't talked about yet. Him and I, I am a, a non-religious Democrat. He's a pretty devout Catholic Republican. We have disagreements pretty deeply on some social stuff. Abortion, I could say, is one of them. And there's other national issues that we have disagreements on, but we do not care at all about those things when we're taught. We can absolutely compartmentalize. I don't look at him and say, okay, because he thinks differently than me on abortion or maybe gun restrictions or list a national issue that's not relevant to county government and we disagree on it. I don't care about that. And he doesn't care about that when we're talking about vehicle electrification and climate change or child care or housing units and ADUs. So I think that's the really important point. We disagree on a lot at like a national level and even some like we listed on, on the local level. And yet we're able to vote separately and then move on to the next thing and work on them together. I think that's the really important point that's missing in certainly in national politics and also in my experience in the legislature in state level politics. If you disagree on one thing, you're the devil for everything else, no matter what. And it doesn't matter if we agree on 90% of things. I wouldn't say Nate and I agree on 90% of things, but we agree on plenty. And there are plenty of things that him and I uniquely are positioned to work on than even our other council members. For instance, because we're so young, we have such young kids. When we think about climate change or we think about childcare, that's, I think, the important point is finding ways to understand your disagreements and then compartmentalize them and focus on things you do agree on. And I think one of the things that's been really helpful for that has been that we've developed a personal friendship outside of work. Right. So it's not, it's not solely just a professional. This helps both of us, but we're, we're friends outside of work. And so when an issue comes up at the national level or even at the local level at the county, if there's a disagreement, I can call Jared and we can have a really good in-depth conversation where I can understand the opposing point of view in a safe way, I guess, for lack of a better term, because I know Jared's not going to go post what I think on social media or or attack me for it. We can just have an honest conversation with each other about what are the pros and cons of each side? How do we understand where the other person's coming from and figure out we probably have a common goal? Are there ways that we can we can maybe work together to get there? So that's been super helpful to have just at the on a personal level, that connection to kind of bounce ideas off of each other in, in like I said, kind of a, a safe way. Maybe you can get a pair of, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Oh, yeah. And maybe before you get together on a topic, you play a game around and see who wins. Yeah. That's a good idea. I'll have to try that. <laughs> you mentioned in your op-ed, you talked about the New York Times study that says approximately 42% of both Republicans and Democrats viewed members of the opposing party as evil, and that 20% from each party view the opposition as less than human. Never mind that maybe that's accurate. How do you bridge those differences? I think one way is just just by, by modeling it or by demonstrating it. I know when I've had the chance to sit down, like I had a meeting this weekend with, with a legislative district chair from the Democratic Party. We had a really good conversation about some substantive issues in the county. 
And I think when that sort of thing happens, or like when Jared and I do these events, and I know I've talked with Republicans who have heard from Jared, it's like, oh, he's not he's not this crazy Democrat that that kind of the media has made out all Democrats to be. And and so I think going out and actually talking with groups of people who maybe aren't aligned with you and showing that, hey, we do have more in common is a way that we can help to bridge that divide and hopefully change that narrative that's that's been held pretty strongly at the at the national level in large part through the media that the opposite side is the devil or evil or whatever. And also I'll add to that on a on a personal level, we all have the ability to, to work on that. But Nate mentioned this in his response earlier about how him and I have learned to interact with each other. We have this personal friendship. And so when we have conversations about really tough issues and maybe we disagree on them and maybe even at the end of it, we continue to disagree the same as before. We are assuming good intent with each other at all times. He doesn't assume that when he asks me a question about a policy, I'm answering in a political way to manipulate the situation to help myself and step on his shoulders, et cetera. And he, and vice versa, he does not assume that about me. So we're assuming good intent. We know that we're, we both care deeply about this county. The reason that he, for instance, won't vote on a single tax increase is not because he's trying to run for Congress and wants on his resume that he's never voted for taxes. It's because he has a philosophical disagreement with specifically how it's being spent or how it's impacting his community or what's he's stacking on top of current property tax. There's reason, real legitimate reason why he believes what he believes. And he knows the same about me, even though we disagree. I have real reason for why I believe what I believe about it. So because we assume good intent, we can have these safer conversations because I'm not worried he's trying to screw me over or get one over on me and vice versa. I think we can do that with people in the communities as well. When I go out and knock on doors during a campaign or we go to these events, these Building Bridges events, we have 50, 60, 70 people in a room. We don't have these conversations thinking that that person is trying to impress people in the room. We have the conversations and we even set the ground rules at the beginning before we do these meetings to say we're assuming you're just saying what you actually mean because it's what you actually mean. We're going to start from this place of assuming good intent and you can screw me over and lose that trust in the conversation as it progresses. But from the beginning, we're going to assume that you believe what you believe and you care about your community. And that's why you believe what you believe, even if we believe separate things. That's really important. I think we can all do that. Elected officials can do that. We can all do that one-on-one at the grocery store, at the gym, wherever you're having work conversations. We can all do that is assume good intent with each other rather than just say, well, I saw that you have that that Trump logo on your car. So I know you believe all this stuff and you're the devil. And so no matter what you say, I don't care. We can all do better at that. I'm very impressed with both. I'm hoping you will run for bigger office so I can vote for you because <laughs> I don't live in Snohomish County. But then I'd have trouble picking between you that, if you ran against each other. I, I don't know. <laughs> you alluded to your popularity after this op-ed came out and so many people started reaching out to you and you're doing all these school events. Talk about these events, the building bridges. So the school events actually started happening with the previous op-ed. That was, what, a couple of years ago, I think, Jared. Yeah. And we had just a ton of like civics teachers and even college professors and others reaching out and asking us to come to present to their students. Because I'm sure in their minds, it was this is what students need to be hearing to, again, get people more engaged in politics. So that was really good. And then what Jared and I did, because we were were talking to so many of these schools, is we said, well, why don't we just logistically, it might be easier, why don't we organize an event and invite people to it? And so we've started these Building Bridges events that kind of takes those conversations we're having with high school students and amplifies them for the entire community. So they're obviously free events, they're open to the entire community to come, and they're kind of interactive so people can participate with each other. And we've had a really good time with that. We also started a Civic Education Day at the county campus where we had, I think, like 150 to 200 students earlier this year come and learn about county government and civil discourse and all those all those sorts of things. And we hope to make that an annual event. So, so that's been really cool to see the growth and 
as this becomes more popular, there's more opportunities to to kind of spread spread this good message, I think, across the community. In schools, are they getting enough civics or history lessons anymore? I am long, not as long out of school as you, but long out of school. I haven't been in, I graduated high school a handful of de- a decade plus, a decade and a half ago. But even when I was in high school, I don't think that we taught enough of it. And it's not just it's not just civics and history either. I think we have a hyper focus that has steered us in the, my entire generation, Nate and I's generation, in the wrong direction when it comes to STEM and college focus. But that would take a whole nother two hour podcast. But I certainly think they do not focus enough on civics and government, and also in how to interpret information when it comes to civics and government, but everything, because kids will graduate high school and not know how to deal with the new world that they're dealing with, that my parents didn't have to deal with, and that even I didn't have to deal with. Facebook had kind of just started when I was graduating high school. Now, it's TikTok, Instagram, that's where kids are getting information now, because it's so easy and it's in your hand. So they're consistently shot information about politics as well. And so we need to start, we need to adjust the way we're doing education to understand that that's the new world we're living in. And that takes more civic engagement, more civic education and, and history and government education, but also interpreting information education. There should be classes upon classes about how to research citations, really understand facts, where to get source information versus interpreted information from biases. And so and the shorter answer is no, I don't think they're getting nearly enough of that education. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I would probably place less blame on the schools for that and probably more for social media. And Jared and I have talked a lot about this. But I think just in general, the younger generations and in our generation, too, but we have kids coming up and young adults coming up who have like never had an engaging conversation with somebody who thinks differently from them on an issue. And for, for that reason, aren't able to really think critically about their own views. I've had conversations with both Republicans and Democrats who are kind of of this mindset. When you point out maybe a difference of opinion, it's like they've never heard it before. And kind of like Jared was saying, where we should be assuming good intent. But there's a lot of people on both sides, I think, who really do think anybody who thinks different from me on this has evil intentions, evil motives. And I think we've got to find a way as a, as a culture, as a society to shift away from that. There's only so much schools can do there. I think a lot of it's got to be like in the household and in communities and hopefully on social media, improving things. But anyway, it's a, it's a larger societal issue. So if somebody wanted to book you guys to come and give a talk to their school, how do they get in touch with you? They just email us. I mean, we get emails weekly from students or teachers, mainly the teachers, but even sometimes it's originated from students just emailing us. We decided a long time ago, just over two years ago now, we were going to say yes to everything. And we have not said no to anything yet. And so we're we're not at capacity yet. So, I mean, any school, any group that reaches out to us, we try very hard to be accessible. Both of our legislative assistants know exactly what how high this priority is for us. And so, I mean, we're extremely responsive offices, both of us. So if any teacher, and they currently still do, reach out, we say yes. So call us, our office, email us, Instagram, Facebook message. I've gotten invites in various ways. Do you do just locally or do you, have you gone outside of Snohomish County? Hey, so far, we've we've just done Snohomish County stuff. We're both Snohomish County council members. We're in leadership in Snohomish County. And so we focused on Snohomish County. Did, you read, you found out about us because we did an op-ed that we submitted to the Seattle Times. And that was a that was an intentional decision to do it. To We had, had a good conversation, Nate and I, back and forth about, should we stick with the Herald and just our locals or go to the Seattle Times with this one? We are absolutely willing to branch out and have bring this conversation to a broader audience. But we also want to be careful about this isn't uh, political for us in the sense of political personal gain. This is something we both very passionately 
believe in and think our society writ large will improve dramatically if more people did more things like this, especially elected officials. We're not looking at, hey, let's do it to the Seattle time so the Seattle voter base is used to us by the time we want to run for XYZ, senator, congress, governor, whatever. For us, we did want to start with making sure our community here locally where we're raising our kids is where we start. But certainly, I I will all speak for myself because Nate and I haven't had this big conversation yet about if we wanted to branch out, but I'm certainly willing to go talk to anyone and do this in front of anyone. But if it took away from what him and I are able to do on the local level, the second that it started deteriorating our efficacy in in our Snohomish County work is when I'd pump the brakes. But we're not even close to that point yet. Yeah, I agree. I think anybody who wants to hear, we'd love to come and have those conversations. What would be cool too is if we saw this happening on a broader scale where state elected officials took notice and they started doing their own version. So like Jared said, it's not about us, but I think just seeing this sort of this sort of movement and this sort of message broaden, I think would be really cool. And, and I'd certainly be willing to go and speak to anyone about it. Okay, give your email addresses. First name dot last name at snowco.org. So jared.mead at S-N-O-C-O dot org. And that goes same for Nate. Nate.nearing at snowco.org. And the last name is N-E-H-R-I-N-G. I'm glad you clarified that. because we would... <laughs> Poor Nate Nearing. He'd be getting tons of email and not know what's going on. <laughs> Are you both planning to run on the national level someday? I'll let Nate answer that one first. Yeah. I think for myself, the reason I got into politics was I was inspired by people like my dad in local government and others. And I really love lo- the local level. So if I could do this for the rest of my life, I would be perfectly satisfied doing that. We do have term limits at county government. So eventually we'll have to find other jobs, whether that's in elected office or private sector, whatever that is. So I don't know what the future looks like, but I I love working at the local level. I think it's a lot more productive than maybe what we see at different levels of government. I started in local government. I started at a city council and then ran for the legislature with big, wide eyes, excited about really big, inspired by like the Barack Obama's, the big national level issues, got to the legislature and really disliked the dysfunction, the toxicity, the hardcore rigid partisanship. And so when the opportunity arose for me to then go back to local government, I literally left state government where you get to work on those big high-level issues to come to local government. There was some family stuff. I was starting a family and all that too that was involved in that decision. But also the work of local government is very different. And I, I personally believe very fulfilling, especially compared to what I was doing on the state, the state level, because you can touch all the issues you're working on, all the, the road projects, the park investments, the zoning issues, the property taxes, all the things that you're doing, you're touching, you can see, you run into people in the community, at the store, at the gym, wherever, and they can touch the things that you've done versus the state legislature, you're working on really high level stuff that a lot of people don't even know pass because it don't actually affect their lives. And so I really like working on the local level, but the megaphones like we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes go towards the voices that are working on those high kind of more attractive sexy issues like gun legislation and gay marriage and roe v wade and all the things and so then by virtue of that my kids when they're they're teenagers and they're actually paying attention to politics they're not going to be seeing people like me on the tv on the radio TikTok, whatever the next social media is that politicians are getting shared on, they're going to see people that are at the higher level, like Marjorie Taylor Greene and AOC screaming at each other. And is that what I want represented as government to my kids, to the next generation? No. And so that argument would say, we need more people like this to be interested in higher level government, to get the megaphones in front of their face so that there can be actual representation of good people, sane people, common ground type, bridge building type people. 
in office. So that goes back to my first point from a half an hour ago about getting the right people interested in running for those offices. I wouldn't be attracted to running for those offices right now because of how toxic it is and how rigid and maybe ineffective I'd feel I was. But I think those are the types of people that do need to be running for office. So we'll see. Is there a question that either of you would like to answer that I haven't asked? If you were to ask us if we thought that we were optimistic or pessimistic, and if we're in the worst place that our country's ever been, I, that's a question that I think about a lot. And I don't know that I have the perfect answer to it, but I, I, and I know Nate feels the same way. We're pretty optimistic about where we are. We were in D.C., oh, what was it now, a month ago or so. That was the trip that Nate and I took together as part of our NACO. And it was county work, but we took some extra time to go out to some of the museums. And we went to, we did a tour of the Capitol. And we, we took a picture actually together at the site on the Capitol in this old Senate building where bloody Kansas, if you're familiar with the history of that, occurred, which was on the Senate floor. And it was a senator who got beat nearly to death with a cane while two other congressmen were there with guns, making sure no one interfered while this guy was getting beat. And it was over a policy disagreement. There's still bloodstains on the Capitol steps from another incident that happened decades ago. And so I don't think we're at the worst it's ever been. I hear people talk about that a lot. Social media has certainly made it different than it's ever been. And the toxicity is circulated in different ways. But we've always, our country was founded on disagreement and then finding ways to work through those disagreements. And it hasn't always been awesome. We've had something called the Civil War. And so I think we're not, I, I think I, I'd like to be asked questions about the optimism that we feel and, and how good we also have it and, and the good things that our country has gone to and succeeded in and all that. So I guess that's a question that I would answer. I'm optimistic about where we are. I don't think we're in the worst state we've ever been in. We just have different challenges that we can face. And as long as we have more people willing to work together and continue to spread messages of bipartisanship and, and common ground and decency, then I think we come out of this better. And I agree with that. I mean, both of us read a lot of a lot of Lincoln, and he's a, I think, a role model for both of us. And so you think about what things were like during that period of time, and that our country was able to come through that for the better. We're certainly not in, in those dire straits right now, even though things do seem pretty toxic right now. So I think it's all about the perception of things and what we're all willing to do on our local individual levels and community levels to to improve our, our society for the better. You both have my vote, as long as you're not running against each other. Much continued <laughs> success in the future, and thanks for being on Life Slices. Thanks for having us on, Steve. Steve, very good to meet you. My thanks to Jared Mead and Nate Nehring for being on Life Slices and for proving that American democracy can indeed succeed if we start by treating each other with respect and looking for common ground instead of focusing on mutual destruction. If you liked this program, please like Life Slices on social media and subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios.